Distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. I'm Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. And I'm Josh. I live in western Pennsylvania. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or help you better understand one that has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, and what we like and what we didn't. I tend to prefer looking at distros that would be kinder to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system such as Windows or Mac OS. Oh, I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. And I'm more of a Linux gamer and sysadmin ninja. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 39, recorded on January 3rd, 2023. For this episode, we will be reviewing Watt OS R12, Q4 OS, and Garuda. By the end of 2022, Distro Hoppers had been downloaded and, we hope, listened to almost 31,000 times, according to statistics kept at archive.org. We hope you had a good holiday season, and on we go with what makes us happy, Distro Hopping! Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. I went to a convention in Illinois where I got to sing a lot and sold more than a few CDs. I also had a birthday. And then I had my T540P decide that SDA was SDB and vice versa. After coming up with ideas, it seemed I might have to reinstall everything. I started with Mint and it turned out that doing that fixed the rest. Not fun, but I got it done. As of yesterday, however, the machine is partially doing the same thing calls for SDB3 are being sent to SDA3, so I tried to load StormDOS and I get Linux Mint 21.1 instead. I'm beginning to think I should just remove the second SSD and just run with Mac's two distros on it. I bought two machines for myself and my wife. She got a ThinkPad T590 with an i7 16 gigs of RAM and a 512 GB Samsung NVMe drive. And I got a ThinkPad T580 with an i5, which was faster and cheaper than the i7 that year. 16 gigs of RAM and a 256 gig Samsung NVMe drive. This is the first time an NVMe drive has been inside the Bliss household. I also just accidentally learned that it has a touchscreen and that using the touchscreen completely messes up the mouse. I need to do more research on that. I intend to sell my T560 and I still have my T430 and HP Workstation Z800 for sale. Any comments? Well, I find it kind of odd that you have a touchscreen because usually that's on the convertibles. I've never really noticed touchscreens on non-convertible laptops. What I'm thinking is maybe the screen was repaired and they accidentally owned, or they only had a touchscreen to put in it. Mm, that would make sense. It, it could be because if it's a unified cable and it just plugs in, 
or it could have been one of those things where in my days of working on laptops back when I was in IT, you see a connector, you see a cable, you plug it in. So it could have been the fact that it had the support for it, and they just went, oh, let's plug all these wires in. <laughs> well, I paid one ninety nine something plus tax for this, so I'm really happy with it. Anyhow, anything exciting going on with you, Dale? Well, I drove up the Micro Center to look around. It had been four months since I visited last. They had some deals on wall tap surge protectors. They are the type that attaches to the electrical outlet instead of an extended power cord attached to a housing providing additional outlets. They are the, the common ones you see. The design is excellent because they use the same screw to attach it, which also holds the wall cover plate over the outlet. I bought two with three outlets plus three USB charging ports, and one with six outlets with no USB ports. To my surprise, the prices of webcams were pre-pandemic pricing. I'm not sure if that was a holiday thing or what, but they were lower than what I paid for my 12-year-old Microsoft Life Cam when it was new. The Life Cam started having issues many months ago, like making me look like I had a sunburn, along with some random focusing issues. The quality of the new webcams is quite impressive, though I do say in our pre-recording chat that I still redder than I am in real life, but I digress. <laughs> I tested the 64 gigabytes of memory that came with the CPU and motherboard that was gifted to me. I used Memtest 86, which is a bootable ISO. I reset the motherboard to the default settings and then enabled the XMP profile for the memory. The test ran four passes, which lasted 11 hours and 50 minutes. No errors were found. Then rebooted into the UEFI and enabled the overclock genie. It provided about 600 megahertz increase in CPU frequency. The test ran two more passes for about five hours or so. After that, I considered it passed. The Linux activities I had was with my new Solus Budgie installation on my desktop. I installed applications and restored my backups. Using the option to shrink the bottom panel, I can retain the functionality and look of the dash to panel GNOME extension I was using on GNOME. Enabling my favorite key bindings was next. While doing that, I saw where to enable virtual desktops. After learning how it works in Budgie, I am quite happy with it. I didn't like the default key binding, so once the custom key bindings were set, I could open an application on my first desktop and send it to another desktop. I used the super key, which is also known as the Windows logo key. The super shift key and the number of the desktop will send the application to the desktop. To switch to each desktop, I use the super key and the number of the desktop. Alternately, clicking on the application in the panel will switch to the desktop where it's located. And also I found I can also use Alt-Tab. We'll do the same thing. It'll cycle, which is good to know. It wasn't documented. This makes the desktop less cluttered and allows the windows to be larger so I can see them better with my, my increasingly older eyes. I tried the live USB of Solus Budgie on my System76 Pangolin. Everything worked except for the controlling of the keyboard lights and the LED colors. There are some non-System76 projects on GitHub for this, 
but they require files that are not in Pop! OS. I submitted the support ticket asking if they have a way to control keyboard lights outside of Pop! OS. Their tech support has been very helpful in the past. I had some correspondence with tech support. The news is good and bad, but hopefully I will have a good outcome. They do have support for Arch and Fedora-based distros. The bad news is they require DKMS to load the kernel module. Solus doesn't use DKMS. They create their own kernel and init RAMFS. I will need to chat with the Solus devs on IRC to see if they can include it in uh, future uh, releases. So, Joss, what have you been up to? Uh, so, I got my uh, makeshift server rack up so that my switch and my router are uh, now mounted uh, somewhat properly. They're kind of just zip-tied to my, uh, literally, a wire rack. <laughs> I've also been playing a lot of uh, retro games um, on my little uh, Ambernic. That's the uh, brand name, uh, handheld gaming console. Um, it kind of resembles a Steam Deck. Uh, but it's like much smaller because it's the perfect size for like handheld games. So it's like Game Boy Advanced games or Game Boy games. Those kind of things work really well on it. Um, it can also play some PlayStation games, but they don't look as nice because it's such a small screen. I also bought uh, three 12 terabyte uh, drives for my server to store more data on them. And they actually came today, which I was questioning because the UPS tracking data was not very forthcoming with where it was until right now. <laughs> so that was a little strange. But um, other than that, uh, just a lot of traveling over the holidays and all that. Okay, moving on to updates, where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. The Linux Mint 21.1 seems to be performing well on my machines. Great update. For a change, I'm running Cinnamon. Q4OS said they were going to concentrate on version 5, but they snuck in a 4.11 edition. Too late for me to review this episode. They also have an update for their version 3 series, 3.16, just in on January 1st. Dale? Slack 7.5 Open Box Edition was released. It offers kernel 5.15.12 and the latest updates from Slackware's current tree. Blue Star Linux released a new ISO on the 23rd of December. They actually released quite a bit in December. This is the most recent. They mentioned if you're having issues with the kernel 6.1.1, an update to 6.1.2 will be available as soon as possible. The 32-bit edition is delayed due to the aforementioned kernel issue with uh, 6.1.1, which I think was a wise decision. You don't want to have two issues with ISOs. Zero Linux has brought back their GNOME edition, kinda. Those are their words. It's called Zero G. It will not be publicly available. Instead, it'll be available to the Platinum tier patrons, and I'm assuming that is on Patreon. Storm OS has mentioned a Manjuro edition coming soon. There is no other details. I just saw it on their download list in addition to their XFC and, and uh, Plasma edition. I think that was the Plasma edition they had, but my memory escapes me. So how about you, Josh? Uh, I didn't really get a chance to uh, look into anything, unfortunately, so I have nothing to report right now. 
Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. For me, nothing failed this month. What about you, Dale? The failure I have this month is with my initial installation of WattOS, which is what I'm going to be reviewing this episode. My T460 was set for GPT partition and UEFI only. The WattOS USB stick wasn't even recognized. I then enabled CSM and UEFI modes, which is an option on the ThinkPad. After the installation, I was met with a Grub boot prompt. After some research, I saw that they were using Grub, not Grub2, which knows about GPT and UEFI. So it obviously didn't know where anything was because it was expecting the first partition at sector 63. GPT also uses the first sector, but starts its partition at sector 34. This was a deep rabbit hole of reading documentation for three hours. This is totally incompatible. If they used Grub2, they could have used the GPT partition, which I think is the most common anymore. The solution is to create a one megabyte partition at the beginning of the drive and set it to BIOS boot or the GUID. And you can look at the show notes for this because it's a very long number. Do not create a file system. This is only here to fill space to align the sectors. Grub2 will then install the bootloader at the beginning of the next available free space. Technically, you should be able to install a UEFI-only distro on the same GPT drive as the CSM slash BIOS-only distros. UEFI's firmware only needs the FAT formatted partition to load its UEFI stub files once Grub2 is done loading. It shouldn't bother the other partition required for the CSM, so I don't, not sure how this is going to help you, Moss, with some of your issues, but I think it does explain why you're having the issue. Yeah, it definitely explains a lot, but it doesn't help me fix anything because I just am not able to get that deep into it. Yeah, the only other thing I think would be is if you ever get to the point where you wipe your drives again and start over from scratch to uh, remember to make that one megabyte partition and mark it as the market for uh, BIOS boot. And I know it's an option in uh, Gparted and other things. Then you shouldn't have a problem because the way I read it, the two shouldn't mix. The two, the one is going to look for what it wants and then the other ones are going to look for what they want. So we'll have to test that sometime. So how about you, Josh? Well, nothing really failed for me. Um, it almost was the distro I was reviewing. I was very close to, to quitting, but I kept going. And it did end up working in the end, but it was very close. <laughs> Missed it by that much. Yeah, not even joking. It was very close. I almost gave up. <laughs> So let's move on to the reviews, I guess. This month I'm reviewing Q4OS 4.10. Tony and I have each reviewed Q4OS in the past. Tony last reviewed 4.0 beta. It is now at 4.10 official, 
which confusingly follows 4.9. We seem to be having this problem on a number of things where for most of us, 4.10 is 4.10, and it goes, if you up the version number, it'd go to 4.2. But these days, a lot of distros are doing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's confusing. Anyhow, communication with the team indicates that they're working on version 5 at present, based on Debian Bookworm, and they're still maintaining the 3.x branch. Two main goals of this project are to keep it available for older hardware and to be able to switch seamlessly between Plasma and Trinity desktops. You may remember discussions of Trinity Desktop, which was forked from KDE 3.5. It is currently on version 14.0.12. When I reviewed this distro in 2020, I found Trinity to be disappointing, so I'm sticking to Plasma this time. My hardware. For this review, I used my Lenovo ThinkPad T540P. This computer has a fourth generation Intel Core i7-4710MQ processor, 16 gigabytes of RAM and a 256 gigabyte Samsung Evo SSD and a 512 gigabyte Silicon Power SSD with both Intel HD Graphics 4600 and NVIDIA GeForce GT 730M graphics. I installed it on the Silicon Power Disk on SDB1. Installation ease and issues. As with many of these installations, you run the live disk. The first thing that comes up is a K dialog. You may want to enlarge text and widget size to improve readability. Click OK to run a configuration tool for screen setup and scaling. The next K dialog states, Wireless network card detected, Wi-Fi support enabled. Click OK to run a Wi-Fi connection to create a network connection. This runs and leaves a button, Connect and Save. Then there is the Select Language dialog box, which looks like a throwback to Windows 3.1. It then loads a Plasma screen with a welcome box having things you can set up in Q4OS. You need to ignore this right now because you're not installed yet, but get back to it after installation. The installer is Calamaris. You have the option of Desktop, Basic, Live, and Pure. You probably want to install Desktop. The other installations will still do all the updates and then remove programs, so you're not going to save any time. And it takes a long, long time, almost 20 minutes with the Wi-Fi signal I have at school. There's a good messaging system, so you know what's going on at all times, much better than some systems, which only have a status bar and you don't know what's going on for a long time. When it's done, you reboot. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. The distro saved my Wi-Fi password to the installed ISO, which is always great. I had no trouble grabbing control of Grub from my other installations. I then booted into Q4OS and was given the Desktop Display Setup dialog box again. Then the desktop appears with the welcome screen. Options on the welcome screen are to run the desktop profiler, install applications, install proprietary codecs, screen scaling, which is unnecessary as you've already been prompted to set this up, set auto-align, and hardware info. Running the desktop profiler allows you to install as many desktops as you like from the list of Plasma, Trinity, LXQT, XFCE, LXDE, Mate, Budgie, Cinnamon, and Gnome. The team is committed to making Plasma and Trinity available with a single key clip and are working on getting the other desktops similarly established. It is very easy to change the look of your desktop, but I'm missing how to switch to other desktops, which is intended to be simple. The software center is interesting. It looks like they created this app themselves. Installing something is easy, and uninstalling is just as easy, except you have to select it and click Install Application. You are then presented with 
This application is already installed. Do you wish to uninstall it? And it's an easy ride from there. Newer users will have trouble figuring out how to uninstall unless they get lucky and take a leap of faith. It's like turning your computer off with the start button, something all Windows users have to learn. It's not the latest Plasma either. Currently using 5.20.5, the current is 5.26. Discover works, but it's not perfect. I attempted to uninstall Thunderbird using Discover, and while it did it effectively, as proven by a check in Synaptic, I was never informed it had completed the task. I found that the desktop theme using an actual dock was far too slow, so I switched to the modern theme, which had a bottom-centered taskbar, and that worked a lot better. Ease of use. There must be something wrong with me. This is the third Debian distro I have reviewed consecutively, and like the others, it works, I am happy with it, and I could easily live with it. Memory and disk use. Uh, it will use 7.4 gigabytes of space on the SSD, and at boot, it's 511 megabytes of memory used, reported by Free-HM. That's pretty good. It's not as low as Bodhi, but it's lower than most other desktops I've used. Ease of finding help. The documentation is a bit sparse, and the lead devs are not native English speakers or writers, but you can find things. I sent an email to the devs and had a response in about 20 minutes. There is an active forum, although it only has 1,745 registered users, but there is very little you can't find. The base is Debian Bullseye, and Plasma is well used. You might have more trouble if using Trinity Desktop. Plays nice with others. Yes, definitely. It uses Grub, and it was no problem grabbing control of Grub for many of my other distros installed. Grub Customizer still works in Debian 11 and older, and therefore this distro. Stability. It is difficult to find anything more stable than Debian Stable. Some users may be wishing for newer software, but Q4OS is mainly aimed at older hardware. Similar distros to check out. Debian Plasma, Solid XK. Anyone got any other good ideas? I guess they fell asleep listening to my voice. <laughs> no, my brain is still smoking from my deep dive into the grub. <laughs> right on. Ratings. Ease of installation. New user, 8 out of 10. Experienced user, 10 out of 10. If you can't use Calamaris, you can't use installation. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help from the community and web, 8 out of 10. Just because there's not that many users to find. Uh, ease of use, 10 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. My overall rating is 9 out of 10. For my final comments, I'm not sure what to say. It would be nice if the Plasma was more current, but this distro is clearly made for older machines, and the newest doesn't always work the best on older machines. This works and feels nice. I did not try Trinity this time, as it is hardly a preferred desktop unless you're on a 32-bit machine and like the feel of Windows XP. But you could do a lot worse than this distro, and it is easy to recommend. So let's move over to Dale. Well, I'm reviewing Watt OS Release 12. Watt OS started in July of 2008 based on Ubuntu 9.04 through 9.10 using LXDE. LXDE, released in 2006, is an abbreviation for Lightweight X11 Desktop Environment. It looks and functions like XFCE or Enlightenment. LXDE, by default, uses the Open Box Window Manager 
However, you can use others such as Fluxbox, IceWM, or XFWM, the window manager used in the XFC desktop environment. I couldn't verify who the developers were. I only found posts by Biff Baxter and Ron, I'm going to say, Rop. Biff is who you hear in their release announcement on their YouTube channel. It is easy to assume that Biff and Ron are sole developers, or at least on the project team. Their first version comprised of three betas and two release candidates. The naming convention they used for versions is release, abbreviated as R, and the version number R2 was the first non-beta version that was released in June of 2010 based on Ubuntu 10.04. Over the years, they have used various distros as their base, Debian and Ubuntu mostly, or actually only, and offered different desktops and window managers, sometimes several desktops and window managers available in one release. R9 was reduced down to the LXDE and microwatt editions. In 2021, the old Watt OS website was refreshed in January, announcing Watt OS R12 coming soon. And one thing I forgot to mention about MicroWatt, that was a very slimmed down, like IceWM or open box only interface. So we're talking really old school. For Watt OS 12, they rebased on Debian once again. This time they are using version 11 Bullseye with the Contrib, non-free, backports repositories added. Kernel 5.10, LXDE 11, and Flatpak support are provided. I found that they have a Twitter account, so I followed the timeline. Nothing was mentioned that wasn't already mentioned in the Internet Archive of their website. There was a tweet from January 30th, 2021 that read, what is old will be coming soon again, with a link to the old website. My hardware. The laptop I used is my Lenovo ThinkPad T460. It has an Intel dual-core i5-6200U, 2.8 GHz CPU, a 14-inch display using Intel HD Graphics 520, 16 GB of RAM, and a 500 GB Samsung 860 EVU SSD, and the uh, memory is a DDR3. Installation ease and issues. Watt OS uses the Calamaris installer. The laptop was required to be plugged in and must have an internet connection. The installation instructions on the installer don't mention the internet requirement. I found out when it failed the first time, I tried installing it. The error was it couldn't connect to the remote repository, so after I connected to my phone's hotspot and opened the installer again, I selected my language, location, and keyboard settings. US English was automatically selected. For disk partitioning, I selected Erase Disk, which was odd considering that I had previously deleted all the partitions. It should have already recognized that the disk was unused. I entered the information to create my user account and opted to acquire my password to log in, which is the default. The installation time was about four minutes after completing all the necessary steps. Due to the smaller ISO size, the decompression time was 
much less than Titan Linux, which I reviewed last month. Restart now was already checked, so I clicked Done to reboot. Post installation harbor facts and issues. Upon reboot, the grub boot menu was themed with an image of outer space. It was blue with some bright stars. The boot options were boot watOS, boot watOS in safe mode, and utilities. The utilities were hardware report using a menu type graphical interface, which used the keyboard to navigate the options. The login manager was LightDM, which is a good choice in my opinion as it has many configurable options. I needed to enter my username and password as the option to list available users was not used. Once logged in, the wallpaper was a bright scene of a beach with waves rolling onto the shore. In the background, there is a large rock formation sticking out of the water. The Wi-Fi passphrase wasn't retained from the installation and needed to be entered again. The speakers were muted by default. I was able to click to unmute along with controlling them with the keyboard controls via FN, function F1, function F2, and function F3. They are mute, volume up, and volume down. Those are the F keys you see at the top of the keyboard. There is one panel located at the bottom starting with an application menu, file manager, Firefox ESR, and the terminal emulator, which I believe is the LXDE emulator. On the right side are the speaker, Wi-Fi, time, date when clicked on, lock screen using the X screensaver, and a logout shutdown options button. There is a documents folder and recycle bin on the uh, desktop. There are not many applications installed by default, and the accessories folder is the mouse pad, which is a text editor from the XFCE desktop, screenshot, which has the name implies the utility to create screenshot images, Vim, the VI improved text-based text editor, so good it is hard to quit. Sorry, <laughs> I can't resist making that joke every time I see VI or Vim. And XArchiver, a GTK Plus archive manager for zip and tar files. Under graphics, there is a nondescript document viewer and GThumb, which is a GTK-based image viewer. Under Internet, there is Firefox ESR version 102.6, the extended support release. Transmission, a popular BitTorrent client. Under Sound and Video, were Pulse Audio Control and VLC Media Player at version 3.0.18. Under System Tools, there is PCMAN FM a very lightweight file manager that has many features like dual pane view and open the current folder in the terminal, running commands from the uh, current folder. GDebbie is used for installing deb files. Gparted, a well-known GNOME partition editor at version 1.2.0. HTOP is a graphical terminal-based app for displaying system resources like memory, CPU, and running applications. The terminal they are using is LX Terminal from the LXDE project at version 0.4.0. Last on the list is Task Manager, also from the LXDE project, which is similar to HTOP except it uses a desktop GUI interface. The remaining folder 
is preferences, where you can manage the system and desktop configuration, like Bluetooth, keyboard, mouse, monitor, and the Synaptic Package Manager. Many package managers are based on their look and functionality. And I thought that was an odd place to put the Synaptics package manager, but personal preference. The first thing I did was use Synaptic to update the packages. Click on Reload to refresh the package cache. Then click on Mark All Upgrades, followed by Apply. Then I let it download and install the updates. When I checked on it later, it had a pop-up window. This window was due to a Grub upgrade. It was asking where to install Grub. My options were slash dev slash SDA or slash dev slash SDA1 by root partition. Placing the mouse pointer over the options showed a nice explanation. I knew my Grub was installed on SDA1 because my root partition was marked bootable. This can be seen in the Gparted application. The help window wrote, when in doubt, have it write to all listed locations. For a new user, the answer of all locations works. This would still be a hard choice for a new user to make. The on-screen brightness and volume notifications are not available when I use the FN F1 through F5 keys. However, I can confirm that they do work. I placed the mouse pointer over the speaker icon in the system tray and noticed the volume percentage moving. I also noticed the screen getting brighter and dimmer. I noticed that the battery status was missing from the system tray, so I opened the power management app to enable it. This setting is also necessary for laptops, so I can see why it wasn't enabled by default. Flatpak is installed, but like many other distros, it is not configured for use with FlatHub. I can understand it not being enabled as a form of risk management due to some software not being FOSS, free and open source software. I am not a lawyer slash solicitor, so I don't know what the risks are, if any. There isn't a notification service for software and uh, new updates. Your choices are using Synaptic, or apt in the terminal. Since Synaptic is the only GUI software center installed by default, you will need to install remove update flat packs in the terminal. I looked at the sources.list file and saw that they are only using Debian repositories. While in the terminal, I added the Flatpub uh, repository. I installed Signal Messenger via Flatpak and Telegram from the Debian repository using app. When I installed Telegram, the only window decoration shown was the close button. To enable the same window decorations used by other apps, open the Telegram settings and open the advanced settings. Three sections down is system integration. In that section, select use system window frame. From there, you can also choose to have the system tray icon and the taskbar icon visible. You can independently choose between those. I noticed that Signal wasn't listed in my Applications menu. I opened it from the terminal and saw this error. It basically informed me that because the two dot desktop folders were not in the, in all capitals, xdg underscore data underscore dirs, I would need to log out and log in for them to show up. Oddly, they didn't upon doing that. So I went down a rabbit hole of XDG. 
It is much too detailed for this review, so I will give a brief description. X Desktop Group, XDG, was the original name of freedesktop.org. They host Xorg, Wayland, and Mesa, among many other projects. XDG, base directory specification, or XDG BDS, a GNOME project, is a range of variables that define where user-specific files used by programs can be located. The XDG underscore data underscore DIRS is what I needed to edit. It is one of the many variables available in the XDG BDS specification. The config file is located in the home folder under dot local called user hyphen dirs dot dirs. It follows the same syntax as the dot bash rc file. At the end of the file, I added the following. This is in all capitals, xdg underscore data underscore dirs, and then the equal sign, double quote, dollar sign, and then capital H-O-M-E, then a slash, and then I put the uh, locations of the dot desktop files that it exports, which is the dot local share flatpak exports share folder and the slash var lib slash flatpak exports share. And you have to separate them with a colon for it to uh, recognize them. And this will be in the show notes and how it's supposed to be formatted. It's a lot to uh, digest, and trust me, it's hard to say. <laughs> the variables must be in all in uppercase, and the past statements are in lowercase. The folders are separated with a colon. I rebooted the laptop and signed back in. The flat packs are now all listed in the application menu. You can think of XDG BDS similar to the path statement in the .bassrc or .profile file so it can locate executables. I will include the links to the list of the software hosted by the freedesktop.org and the Node Developer site for XDG BDS. And I have heard of freedesktop.org but I never realized how many projects they have. You have to go there. It's mind-blowing how many they host. This goes on and on and on. Ease of use. This is a simple, easy-to-use desktop. If you are a fan of the Windows 95 through XP menu interface, you'll be very comfortable using it. There isn't any super key menu pop-up uh, functionality. If you want to open an application, you must find it in the application menu or via the terminal. Overall, this has been a good experience. The lack of this super key functionality is a deal breaker for me though. Memory and disk use. 5.9 gigabytes of space used on the SSD. I use the uh, DU, uh, I think it's hyphen H command, because I think you have the actual command, if you want to run it on your own system, you type in sudo du space hyphen h, then put a space and a forward slash. That will make it so it starts at your root directory. And surprisingly, there is 339 megabytes of memory used 
uh, reported by Free Space uh, hyphen HM, which I think is probably one of the lowest we've had. I know Moss has had quite a few low ones. Well, Bodhi is lawyer, lower, but yeah, it's pretty low. Ease of finding help. I didn't seek out any help since this was a Debian-based distro. However, they do have a web-based forum and a Discord. Plays nice with others. If you are wanting to do boot this with other distros using MBR partition type, then you should be fine. If you feel adventurous, you can try to do some custom partitioning using GPT, as I mentioned in my beautiful farriers. So it can play nice with others, but you have to know what you're doing. Is that what you're saying? Yes, but you have to have UEFI and CSM enabled because the boot stick doesn't recognize UEFI. You have to have UEFI enabled on your computer because it doesn't know anything about it. Stability. This is a non-issue as this is a Debian base with a 5.10 kernel. This is current enough for the computer's WattOS is intended for. Similar distros to check out. Lubuntu, Linux Lite, Bunsen Labs Linux, and Antix Linux. And uh, Lubuntu is another uh, distro that uses LXDE. Or no, I take that back. That's LXQT. I take that back. They just recently, I think within the past year or two, switched over to uh, LXQT. Ratings. Ease of installation. A new user, 7 out of 10. Experienced user, 9 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, community and web, 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 8 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 5 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. My overall rating is 8 out of 10. Final comments. I took some points off for the ease of installation because the need for internet access was not mentioned before the installation was even started. I also chose the middle of the road for the uh, plays nice with others. Points were deducted in the ease of use due to the Flatpak apps not appearing in the application menu, but not everyone uses Flatpaks. Once configured, this is a very usable and stable distro. I noticed that even with a couple tabs open in Firefox with Signal and Telegram open, the RAM usage was about one and a half to two gigabytes. This would be fine for a computer with four gigabytes of memory and a small HDD or SSD. Now let's move on to Joss's review. Well, I didn't pick a uh, Debian distro. <laughs> I ended up uh, picking uh, Garuda Linux, which is a Arch-based distro. So, for my intro here, I almost gave up on this one. Garuda is just not the distro for me, and uh, truthfully, I don't see how anyone can stand it, at least with the KDE Plasma Dragonized Edition. I really should have tried another desktop, but the Dragonized Edition is the flagship, so that is what they spend their time on. I tried not to uh, let that skew my review, but um, it was challenging from the beginning till the end of this one. The uh, hardware I used was my Ryzen 7 5800X CPU with 16 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM at 3200 megahertz and my NVIDIA 1650 Super GPU. Installation, 
ease and issues. This part would have been good, but the Dragonized KD Plasma is so bogged down that it's insanely slow. So it, it took forever just to get this installed. It uses the CalMars installer, so it, it's an easy install, and they add a lot of extras to the installer. Like they allow you to choose your desktop and uh, file system, that kind of stuff, and all of that, which uh, is really nice, but it's got a lot of crap, I guess you could say, because like I don't really need all the stuff that they have to install, so it does take a while to install this distro. Yeah, it, it probably, I didn't time it, but I'd probably say it took double the amount of time to install this one versus others um, using the Calamari's installer including other Arch-based distros, which is, I don't know what it is, but it definitely took longer. Post-installation hardware facts and uh, issues. Once installed, it still runs slowly. And yeah, I have no slouch of a machine, as you can see from my hardware. It's uh, It should be running this pretty fast. Uh, the animations are slow, and the desktop switching is slow. The apps open slowly, but I think it literally has to do with the animation speed being slow, not necessarily the desktop being bogged down for that. And I didn't really dig into KDE because KDE is just a plethora of settings to fix that, to change that. So I just kind of, I left that go and it was just, oh man, it, the animations are just so slow. Uh, it does have a lot of applications pre-installed like Discord and some gaming applications. So that is nice, but it's just it's just so slow. I can't really reliably use it because everything is just so slow with it. It's like it's like everything's in slow motion. That's all I can say with it. Uh, this is just a personal preference, but I also think the uh, theme is a little much, but that's just me. I know others who like it as it is, so I mean, there's that. I also had some applications crash on me and some of the uh, plasmoids as well, which it was strange for plasma distro, uh, which is usually solid. Yeah, that uh, the applications crashing and the plasmoids crashing was very strange for me because I've not experienced a finished distro that has done that to me in a very long time. And every time that I've used this distro, something like that has happened to me. So I don't understand what it is about that, why it does that with this distro, but it just, they, something always crashes. And you can send your hate mail to at Josh on tech. <laughs> I mean, you can, but I, I, I know people love this distro. I do. It irks me. <laughs> I just can't get along with it, no matter how hard I try to use it. Ease of use. So this is where it gets a little weird. The distro is easy to use for an Arch-based distro. They try to add a lot of tools to help manage different uh, aspects of the distro. So that's a plus, like in the welcome screen. It's one of the best ones that is out there. Like it's really nice. It has a lot of stuff in there to help you manage your system and update things and whatnot. All of that works so well, but man, is it slow. <laughs> I can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> I mean, just like the animations and how windows open and, and all of that. So you're saying it's slow. It's very slow. I'm getting the idea you think this system is kind of slow. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It just is. Like, I just, uh, just thinking about it makes me angry. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> <laughs> so memory and disk usage. 
15 gigabytes of space was used on the SSD, which is, nah, it's all right. It's it's a little little higher than, than usual, but that's okay. But then the memory usage, which was 1,500 megabytes, that was reported by Free-HM. That is very high for a plasma distro, so they must be adding a lot of stuff. I think that's the highest we've had reported on the show. It probably is, but... Yeah, I think so. It wasn't exactly 1,500. It was It would go in between like, like 1,550 and 14 something. So I kind of just averaged it at 1,500. Every time I booted, it was a little different. But man, they have a lot of extra stuff going on <laughs> with that distro. I don't know what, what it is, but they have a lot of stuff. Ease of finding help. Help is readily available between their forum, which is very active, and um, the ArchWiki, which of course has a lot of stuff to help with uh, Arch-based distros. I believe they also have a Discord, but I didn't look into that. I'm pretty sure they do. I want to say like 99% that they do have a Discord, and usually when there's a Discord involved, it's really easy to get help if you go in there. Plays nice with others. Garuda uses Grub too, so I would say it should play nice with others, even though I didn't test that. Uh, stability. Uh, I would say not too stable because I had applications crash and other issues like that, including the entire desktop freezing on me where I had to restart the whole computer, which again, for a Linux distro, I have not had that happen in a very long time. That bugs me when you got to do stuff like that. That reminds me of Windows when you got to do stuff like that. Did it have the Homer Homer Simpson? <laughs> that should be a gift that plays every time that the that the screen freezes. Of course, well, if the screen's frozen, it won't work, but it should play. <laughs> Gaming ease. I would say pretty good. I tested several games and they installed and played well under Proton and also some native games I played. Everything seemed to work pretty well. Um, those were not slow. Those played well. <laughs> Getting to them, that was a different story. <laughs> Similar distros to check out. Uh, Manjaro, definitely a good contender. I would say Manjaro is better, in my opinion, than Garuda, in my opinion, as far as usage goes. Endeavor OS, which is an Arch-based distro, but it's only an Arch-based distro in the fact that it is an Arch-based distro. Otherwise, it's not similar because it's very um, bare bones for Arch, but it is an Arch-based distro that looks very nice and is easy to install. And I'd say just about any Arch-based distro that has Plasma would be similar to this one because Plasma is just so configurable that there is so many ways to make it act differently that any Plasma distro would pretty much be similar to this one as far as usage goes, I would say. Looks, it looks a little different, but once you get using it, it acts very much like Plasma. (laughs) Stay tuned for next month's episode where I think I am reviewing an Arch-based distribute running Plasma. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> Little teaser there. So my ratings. So ease of installation. For a new user, I gave it 9 out of 10 because it is using Calamari's and that's just straightforward. They do give you some options in there, which can be a little daunting for some new users, which is why I gave it a 9, not 10. No rating for speed of installation. Speed of installation, yeah, that would be like of 2. <laughs> Experienced user, 10 out of 10. That was pretty easy with Calamari's installer to install it. Hardware issues, I gave that a 7 out of 10 because I really didn't have any specific hardware issues. It's just the crashing and the application issues that I had with it. That's why I gave it a 7 out of 10 with that. Ease of finding help, 9 out of 10. 
I mean, it's just easy to find help with that. Ease of use, I gave it a 6 out of 10 because it, even though it is plasma, they have it configured in a way that it's very different um, looking from plasma. So it will take you a little time to get used to that. But once, like I said, once you get used to it, it is plasma. So you'll know how to get around once you figure out where everything is. Plays nice with others. I give that an 8 out of 10 because it uses grub. Uh, I, like I said, I did not test this, but usually grub distros do tend to play nice with other distros. Uh, stability. 4 out of 10 because of all the crashing and the application crashing and that kind of stuff. I cannot say this is a very stable distro for a long-term use at least, even though I tested it on the short term. <laughs> Works with games. I gave it a 6 out of 10. It does work well with games. It's just being that it was crashing and everything like that. Who knows how long you're going to be able to play? I don't know. It may be a little crash in between. I didn't test it long enough to really say. So I didn't want to give it a, a full on like, you know, 9 or, or 10 out of 10 for that one. Overall rating, uh, 7 out of 10, I would say, because I mean, it's just I cannot recommend a distro that will freeze and crash for anybody that wants a stable system. So uh, my final comments, uh, this distro was just not for me at all, as you can tell. Uh, from from its looks to its functionality, it just uh, didn't impress me. I had several crashes and some things just didn't work. The neon theme did not help either. The thing is, there are many other desktops available for this distro, and maybe the others work well, but the uh, Dragonized version is way um, over-encumbered with unneeded things uh, that cause issues uh, with the stability of the desktop. Maybe I need to look into other desktops for Garuda um, in the future episode. Thanks, Josh. Moving into new releases. From November 30th to January 3rd, Arco Linux 22.12.02, PC Linux OS 2022.11.30, Nix OS 22.11, Smart OS 2022.12.01, Regatta 22.0.7, Easy NAS 1.1.0, 4M Linux 41.0, Gnopix 22.12, Open Indiana 2022.10, Nomad BSD 131R, FreeBSD 12.4, Sparky Linux 2022.12, Kali 2022.4, Deepin 20.8, Puppy Linux 22.12, Rebecca Black OS 2022-12-12, Barry 1.37, Kaizen 2.2, Zero Linux 2022.12, AV Linux MX 21.2.1, Smart OS 2022.12.15, KDE Neon 2022.12.15, TrueNAS Scale 22.12.0, Defile 22.12, Debian 11.6.0, Debian Edu 11.6.0, System Rescue 9.06, XTix 22.12, GUIX 1.4.0, Bunsen Labs Beryllium, Springdale 8.7, Endeavor OS 22.12, Tails 5.8, Mint 21.1 All Flavors, Peropasis 1.9, Hyperbola 0.4.2, Newtix 22.12.0, KDE Neon 2022 Q4OS 4.11, Arco Linux 23.01.03, Blue Star 6.1.1, 
Clear 37860, Haiku R1-Beta 4, Maybox 22.12, Manjaro 22.0, Zephix 6, Pardus 21.4, Linux FX 11.2.22.04.6, IPFire 2.27-Core172, Seduction 22.1, Vanilla 22.10, Calculate 23, Cache OS 22.1230, Ultimate 2022.12.31, Archcraft 2023.01.01, Q4OS 3.16, that's the 3 series, Nitrex E1A83A37, Arch 2023.01.01, Ultramarine 37, Makulu Linux 2022-12-29, and Dragonfly BSD 4.6.0. In feedback, we had an email from one user and some mention in our Discord group that shows Google has finally closed FeedBurner, which means we need to find a new way to send our podcast to the feeds. Dale is investigating how to do this, and we will have it solved shortly. I have faith in Dale's ability to fix things. In the meantime, you will have to get your downloads directly from our website. Interesting telling people who have to get them directly from our website that they have to get them directly from our website when they don't know that already. We may need to move the website off Blogspot as it is another tentacle of Google, but that's for the future. Announcements For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group or our Discord channel. Where can our listeners find you, Josh? I'm at uh, Josh on Tech on most social networks, or uh, you can email me at joshontech at pm.me. Also, you can find me on the uh, Crowbar Kernel Panic podcast. Dale? I'm Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord, and my email is dale underscore CDL at pm.me. And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me. And I'm on Mastodon as at zyvola at hosttux.social. Plus, you can find me, Dale and Dylan, at itsmoss.com. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who make this project possible. Archive.org for storing and helping distribute this program. Audacity, which we use to record and edit the show. Tony Hughes for managing the website and producing and editing the podcast. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Turvals for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkits, and all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source slash library software. We will be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. <music>